Good morning, Village. Thank you. Hopefully you've had all your caffeine and all that good stuff. Never, you're right. We want to continue in Acts. Last week we started talking about some of the successes and the, the power that God was showing through Peter. But then he had this blind spot of a bias against the Gentiles and thinking that the gospel was really primarily for the Jews. And, and, and Christ came to the Jews first, but then also expanded that to the Gentiles. And so we said that was sort of part one. And today is where God confronts that bias and deals with that bias really in what is a world-changing chapter in Acts. Without this chapter, we're probably not here today because this is where the church expands to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. But God had to do something to wake Peter up to this, to teach Peter this. I can remember, I think I've told the youth this story, but I remember back when I was in driver's training, so um, 20 so years ago, and... Um, <laughs> You know, we're dealing, like I said last week, we're dealing with driver's training and all that. But when I was in driver's training, I still remember it. Back then, they felt it was safe to have several of us new drivers in the car. So I was in the back seat while one of my friends who had never driven before was driving. And um, so lots of prayer was happening, and it was a good thing. But I can remember we're going through the, this neighborhood, and we get to this intersection, and, and they, they would call it a blind intersection, but basically there was no stops on either side. And the driver um, that, that I was in, in the car never even looked to the sides. Just blew right through the intersection, right? And the, the instructor, we didn't realize this, but he had his hand out on the window like this. As we enter the intersection, he reaches onto the, the roof where we can't see and just pounds the roof of the car. And, and it just, I thought we were dead. Uh, because it felt, it, it sounded like an accident. Everyone jumped and, and just, you know, all, all kinds of bad stuff. And, and he, the, the driver was like, why'd you do that? And the, the instructor said, because you didn't look. And one of these times you don't look, a car is going to be coming, and that's going to be an accident, and I need you to learn that now when it's not an accident. And, and he woke him up. He, he woke all of us up. I will never forget that. So now every time I come to a street, I'm like looking both ways, and e even to this day, but sometimes some of our blind spots are like that. That was a blind spot to a new driver. Had no clue that that would even be a thing because wouldn't they stop for us? In this case, Peter is, is, is blind to his attitude to the Gentiles because that's how it's always been. The, the clean and unclean laws, that's how he was raised. This is what you do as a Jew. Jews don't reach out to Gentiles. Jews aren't allowed to go eat with Gentiles because they eat like unclean food and, and all that weird stuff. And it's not that it was weird, but it was commanded in the Old Testament not to eat. And so in many ways, Peter was trying to follow the Old Testament laws. And he was trying to, to follow them the best he could, but this had become a blind spot that was preventing the gospel from going to the ends of the earth that was pre preventing the gospel from going to the Gentiles. So today, we want to grab 40 verses and look at, okay, how did God deal with this bias and what happened when Peter was confronted with this? So turn with me to Acts chapter 10, and we'll be looking at verses 9 to 48 today as we get several more scenes in this ongoing story of Peter and Cornelius. If you remember last week, Cornelius was a centurion, a Roman centurion, in Caesarea Maritima, and this is on the, the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, beautiful town, and he's probably a commander of a hundred or so men um, from the Italian cohort, but he is a Gentile, but we also saw that he was seeking God. He was a God-fearing man to the best of the knowledge that he had, and so God had told him to send these men to Peter down, down in Joppa, send these men to Peter and call for him to come and then listen to what he has to say. And so that's where we pick up the story. Cornelius has heard from God. He's gotten a vision from God. He obeys. And where we left it last week is, okay, will Peter obey now? How will Peter get over this? Because this is something he would never do ordinarily. To go to a Gentile city, to go to a Gentile home, to go inside and share the gospel with them, there's all kinds of boundaries being crossed here. And it's a beautiful thing. 
So we're in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 48, and we'll really look at this in three different um, scenes, three different sequences. The first is, in verses 9 through 20, God reveals Peter's bias. He reveals his prejudice, and he begins to open up to him that this is not the way that he should be going. This is not the plan. And so we come to, to Peter's bias in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey, so these men from Cornelius are coming to, to Joppa to, um, to encourage Peter to come with them. As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, about midday, somewhere around noon. And, and we see right from the start that Peter is a man of prayer. He is seeking God. And so he goes up to the, the housetop, and they had flat roofs. You get a little more privacy up there. And he goes up there to pray. So when we think about how God reveals Peter's bias, the first is through prayer. The first is through prayer. Peter was consistent in the spiritual disciplines. He was consistent in prayer. And that allowed God to reveal what needed to be revealed. See, God often reveals things to us as we, as we pray. Because it shows our openness, that we are welcoming his presence in our lives, that we are open to what he's doing. And at that point, then, he can answer that prayer and reveal things to us that we need to work on. In fact, don't expect God's power in ministry unless we pray. Because this is how we communicate with him and ultimately how we show dependence on him and give him glory. And so we see that next day, as the men are coming, Peter goes up middle of the day to pray. Now, this isn't necessarily one of the normal times of prayer. It just looks like he went up to pray because he was a man of prayer. And from there, we get the setting for the vision that's about to come. But I wanted to start there because Luke is always bringing up prayer. In every story, we're going to see it a little bit more today, he's always bringing up prayer as essential. And if we're to overcome our own blind spots, if we're to overcome those things in our lives that sin areas we can't see, we've got to be a people of prayer. Praying that God would reveal biases against people, against types of people, groups of people. Praying that God would reveal sin issues in our lives. Things that we have held close and not wanted to give up on. Things that are keeping us from growing or sharing our faith. Starts with prayer. Then in verse 10 through 16, we see God revealing Peter's bias through a strange vision. And, and it is sort of bizarre. We'll try to, to understand it here. Verse 10, and he, being Peter, became hungry and wanted something to eat. It's the middle of the day. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And so he has this vision up on the rooftop and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now, I know sometimes I bring in illustrations. I thought of bringing in a, a sheet. I couldn't figure out how to do live animals. So, um, and the animals are the key here. So this, this great sheet descended, let down on its four corners of the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And the wording there is really interesting because that's wording that was used in the Old Testament to represent all of, of created animals, all kinds of animals. In Genesis 6, 20, of the birds according to their kinds, of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. And so this is similar, um, similar language. Creeping thing on the ground would be the reptiles, um, which I'm okay if they were left out. But um, the birds, the animals, the reptiles, this is representative of all of creation and all of, of created animals here and ultimately, the lesson is going to be to all, cre all of mankind. And so all these animals were there, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And at that point, you and I might be thinking, this is awesome. This is, a, this is going to be the best barbecue ever. Uh, this is better than Korean barbecue where you get like 20 kinds of meat and you just eat all afternoon. We, we, we can rise and eat whatever kind of animal. But that, that's not Peter's first thought. Because in this sheet were animals that were unclean, that were common or ordinary. And there were certain dietary laws of animals they could eat and couldn't eat. And, and there's debate, was every animal in the sheet unclean or was only half of them but that made the other unclean? 
It doesn't matter because in the end, Peter says, I can't do it because they're unclean. And so we read in verse 14, but Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so God tells him to rise, kill, and have a barbecue, and he says no. Think about that for a minute. Now, he says no based on his, his closely held assumptions and biases, but he said no in the face of God asking him to do something. In fact, it goes on. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God, and with some clarification, what God has made clean, do not call common. And, and we love Peter, and Peter is us in so many ways, because I think we'd be like this. Peter says no again. And, and in verse 16, it says, this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. And so three times, Peter says no. He never does rise and kill and eat. But God is teaching him something. Three times he objects. And it's interesting, some of the threes we see in Peter's life, right? Three times he denied Christ. Three times Jesus restored him by saying, do you love me? And three times he objects to doing this. And in some ways we can come down on him, but in other ways he was a man that held to his beliefs and didn't sway easily. And so I think we see God's grace here teaching, teaching Peter where he's at and, and saying, Peter, this is a lesson you need to learn. And Peter's not the type that learns it the first time, but he learns it. And, and in this vision where, where God is taking all of these unclean animals and saying, rise and eat, I, if I'm saying it's okay, it's okay. What I have made clean, don't run from. There's, there's a couple things happening here. The first is that, that God here is, rem- is opening the door to eating anything. And, and, and we're like, okay, that's, that's normal for us. But he is canceling the law about not eating unclean animals. And he, he does that very specifically here. But interestingly enough, this isn't the first time. In Mark 7, 19, Jesus himself said that, that food is now clean. And it's what comes out of the heart that makes you unclean. And Peter was there. So this isn't the first time he's heard this. But, so we're reminded just on the animal level that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament covenant. He completed the Old Testament covenant, and we are now under the new covenant of his blood, and he, throughout the New Testament, reaffirms what those requirements are. Every covenant had a certain set of requirements and, and a certain set of benefits from that. And, and the Old Testament covenant is completed. It's not destroyed, it's fulfilled by Jesus, and now the new covenant, God is saying, you know what, it's okay to eat meat. Praise God. Love this passage. But there's a a bigger picture of what's going on here, and we're going to see that as we go on, because God is trying to teach Peter that while this applies to animals, this actually applies so much more to people, so much more to people of all kinds what God has, who God has made in his image, he is reaching with the gospel. And so he's teaching this to him. Now, there's some interesting overlaps here because unless the church learns this, they actually can't go into a Gentile's home. They actually can't go eat with them. And so, so God has to deal with both the, the functional law and the bigger principle, and he's dealing with both here. But he's opening the door to eat with and include Gentiles into the church. And so when it comes to people, what God calls clean, what God calls a man or a woman made in his image, do not make less than. And this gets into some of the issues of prejudice we talked about last week. But we are not to make less than someone that is made in the image of God. And so we see God taking the initiative in Peter's life. He's, he's teaching Peter through prayer first, Peter's openness through prayer, and now through some direct teaching. Now, when it comes to us and blind spots in our lives and biases in our lives, I really doubt that any of you are going to go home and see a white sheet coming down with all kinds of cows and, and pigs and other stuff in it and tacos al pastor and all that good stuff. But maybe God teaches us with other things and with other circumstances, 
with brothers and sisters in Christ. See, God is going to teach us where we're at and find a way to reach us and find a way to reveal our biases, but he's going to do it in in ways that are appropriate to us. Peter was hungry, so he used food. For us, it might be those circumstances. One of the ways I've often seen this happen is through conflict. And we, we hate conflict, right? But as we come out of conflict, so many times God is trying to reveal a bias in us, trying to reveal a blind spot in us and help us grow. And so what is our white sheet? How is God trying to teach us? The other thing I think of with Peter, which I already mentioned, I think this is a blessing that shows how God is teaching Peter and bringing him along instead of just striking him down. But he's giving grace, and he does the same thing with us because we don't always get it. Sometimes we're a little slow to realize what God is doing. And so he's confronted Peter's bias through a life that was open because of prayer, through a vision, and now in verse 17 through 20, just real specifically through the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit telling him what needs to happen here. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, so the sheet goes back up, he's like, what just happened? I'm still hungry. I can't eat the, uh, what just happened? So while he's perplexed at what it might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out, asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And at this point, I think the light starts to go on with him. We're not exactly sure where Peter gets it completely, but he does in this passage. I think here, suddenly he starts to equate the vision with the Holy, what the Holy Spirit's saying. He's like, oh, The vision has something to do with what the Holy Spirit's telling me to do. He may not know what it is yet until he goes down and sees who the men are. But the Holy Spirit is now giving him an instruction to follow. The Holy Spirit directs and says, okay, now put the lessons into practice I've been trying to teach you. I have sent them. This is from God. What are you going to do? Are you going to say again, no, I won't rise up and and partake? Or are you going to obey God and what God is doing? And so we see God had to deal with his bias. And my prayer is that at last week and this week and as we go through Acts and we now see the gospel spreading throughout the world, that we confront our own biases, that we confront our own prejudices. And, and it may not be skin color. It may not be race. It could be status in life. It could be financial status. It could be what kind of clothes we wear. It could be anything. But what gets in the way of us sharing the gospel? Or are there any people that we would say, ah, I'm not sure if God can save them. God can save every believer, or every person that believes on him, rather. And so we, we need to confront in our own lives, what are our biases, what are our hang-ups, what are our blind spots? As well as confronting things, okay, are there things in my life that push people away? Are there things in my life that keep me from sharing the gospel? And we start with prayer, then looking at what circumstances God might be teaching us through, and then listening to the Holy Spirit. What does he want me to do? And so in the next section, we see, we, we finally answer the question, what's Peter going to do? Is he going to say no again, or is he going to, uh, to, to overcome his bias? And, and so point number two, Peter overcomes his bias through obedience. I guess that sort of answers. Peter overcomes his bias through obedience. Now, as we look at this, we get a, a whole number of verses about Peter's response, and it is a response of obedience. And, and it's interesting because when our kids were little, we had a lot of teaching on what obedience was like, right? Obedience isn't just stamping your foot and saying, okay, I'll do whatever you want because I have to. It's not obedience. And so, so we had three things that we would use to define obedience for our kids. And they needed to obey fully. They needed to obey quickly or without delay. And they needed to obey with a good attitude. 
And so those were the things, whenever anything would happen, and we'd say something, we'd say, okay, remember, remember what obedience is, fully, without delay, with a good attitude. It's interesting because as I was studying, I'm like, we see all those things with Peter. We see every one of those things because it's not just true of kids, it's true of all of us and how we obey God. And so the first thing we see is Peter embraced what God said and obeyed fully. He, he owned it and started to put it into practice in his life. 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, don't, don't, don't shut us out yet, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And at that point, we have the big ask. Come up to Caesarea, come to his house, stay with him, and, and, and share. Share the gospel. Peter doesn't quite understand it's the gospel yet, but to, to say something. And at that point, now Peter, I think, is putting the puzzle pieces together and saying, oh, oh, the sheep, the animals, God's directing this. Oh, he is reaching out to these people. I need to overcome this. And the first thing he does, and in 23, we can, we can skip over, but it's a huge verse to show how fully Peter was willing to obey. So he invited them in to be his guests. And this isn't even Cornelius. These are his messengers. He didn't send them down to the street to the inn. He didn't send them away and say, hey, camp on the shore until I come. He invited them in to be his guests, and this crossed a boundary. This right here was him putting aside his bias and allowing Gentiles into his home as his guests to eat with them. And with, with Eastern hospitality, and we've talked about this before, when you invited someone in, they not only were your guests, but you welcomed them in as part of your household the entire time they were there. You would even defend them if you had to against enemies. They were part of your household. And so this statement is a, a huge statement of where Peter's heart now is. He's obeying, and he's obeying fully. He invited them in to be his guests. He went beyond what he needed to do to obey and owned it. He said, okay, God's teaching me this lesson. Let's do this. And he welcomed them in. He was all in. And then we see the next verse where he obeyed immediately or without delay. The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And so they stay the night because it was too late in the day to make this journey. Uh, again, we don't, they don't just hop in their Civic and drive the 30 miles. Um, so it was too late to start this journey. And so they made the plans and started out the next morning. The next possible time, Peter obeyed. So he obeyed fully, but he obeyed without delay. He, wrote, he takes some people with him, which turns out is going to be a very wise move as other people are going to witness what's going to happen, and he has partners in ministry. And they go on their way, and it's a, a day-and-a-half journey. So partway through, they spend the night um, in some town along the way, and then they show up at Caesarea. I love the, where it says Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So now this is beyond his household, right? Now... Cornelius is starting, already starting to share the gospel without knowing the gospel. He's evangelizing by inviting people to come and hear. I love how God works. Um, I also love that it says he was expecting them. He had full confidence that Peter was going to obey. Um, that's pretty brave. That, that's pretty amazing. But Peter did. And because these two men obeyed and got past some of their biases, the gospel is going to explode here. And then it's going to explode worldwide from here. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But he obeyed fully, he obeyed immediately, and he obeyed with a good attitude. With a good attitude. Verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And at this point, so Peter walks in, Cornelius is prostrated, is what the word really means. He's on the ground worshipping him, and there's two options for Peter, right? This blustery guy that sort of is about himself sometimes could be, well, that's cool. 
Thank you. Thank you. I showed up. Uh, He could have taken it all in, but what does he say? But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I, too, am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathering. And, and the stand-up, I too and a man, it's this idea of, and, and, and with some of the original language, it's the idea of stand-up, we're equals. We're equals. Keep in mind, Jew-Gentile, biases, this is extraordinary obedience. It's humble. And he's not taking the accolades, so we see an attitude here that gets it. It's not just forced obedience, but no, no, we're equal. I've, I, I've learned my lesson. We're going to find out later. He still struggles with it. But I'm learning this lesson. I, too, am just a man. Let's talk. And he's talked with him. He went in and found many persons gathered. This is going to be an occasion. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, and this is how we know his heart has changed and that he understood the sheet. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. There's the attitude again, no objections. Heart that says okay. I asked then, why, why you sent for me? He still doesn't know why he's there. Catch this. He obeyed without knowing all the details. He obeyed without knowing the why. What he knew was God said go. And so he went. And so Peter has gone from making some objections to now all in and a great example of obedience for us. And so he didn't take the worship, but, but brought Cornelius up and, and said we're equal. He acknowledges that God showed him something, that he's teachable, that he's learning. All of these things show an attitude of submission. All of these things show a willingness to act on obedience, even if he didn't understand it or feel it. You've often heard me say we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling, but we rarely feel ourselves into a new way of acting. He was obedient on what he knew, on what he knew to be true. And so he asked the good question, okay, why am I here? And it's a great question, and and these circumstances are now going to allow for the gospel to spread. And I, I think, again, when we get into circumstances we don't understand, a great thing to ask is, okay, why? Why? Why are we here? Why are we going through this? What is God trying to do in this situation? And so Peter asked the question. And then in 30 through 33, we see Cornelius' answer. It's really an, an example of Cornelius obeying. And Cornelius, Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. We've seen all this. We saw all this last week. So it's very, very close in wording. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Cornelius retells the story of God asking Peter to come and finally says, we're here to to hear what God has commanded you. Remember what God commanded the apostles to do in Acts 1? He commanded them to be witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then where? Uttermost parts of the earth, the end of the earth. We're at that point in Acts 1.8. That's our outline. We're at that last point And Cornelius says, okay, do what God commanded you to do. I don't think Cornelius knew about Acts 1-8. But from Peter's sermon, he he connects it. He connects what he needs to do. A couple of other things just out of that passage. I love the phrase in verse 33, in the presence of God. Whenever we share the gospel, even if it's hard, even if it's awkward, even if we're overcoming fear, God's presence is with us. We are sharing the gospel with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. 
We are not alone in that, which is what, what Jesus teaches in the Great Commission. I am with you always. And Cornelius got it. We're all here in the presence of God to hear what God has for you to, to say to us. All of this point about Peter's obedience and Cornelius' obedience again reaffirms that a world-changing work of Christ is about to be unleashed because two men obeyed. Because two men obeyed. And so we get to point number three, which is the rest of the passage, 34 through 48. World-changing ministry is unleashed because God shows that the gospel is for all. World-changing ministry is unleashed because God shows that the gospel is for all. And again, in our, in our minds 2,000 years later, it would be like, of course it's for all. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all. But I think we have a couple challenges with that. Number one, understanding how radical this was at the time, that, that God is, is crossing boundaries. He's crossing racial boundaries here, but he wants us to cross economic boundaries, social boundaries, any boundary that gets in the way of the gospel. Let's go. And Jesus himself, who did he eat with? Tax collectors, sinners. Ooh. But no, he was already showing cross boundaries. Take the gospel to whoever wants it. And so for us, we need to see how amazing this command was and then evaluate our own commitment to reaching the world with the gospel. Do we have personal biases or do we have circumstantial biases or situations that have kept us from supporting missions and reaching the gospel and and caring about missions. And so we see this world-changing ministry is unleashed in these next through verses. And the idea of these that, that I hope we see is how God includes both Jews and Gentiles into his church. And so we start with that everyone has full opportunity. Everyone has full opportunity to the gospel. There is no partiality with God He welcomes all who follow him. Verses 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, remember he's going to obey and and say what God has on his heart, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, he's going beyond Cornelius, in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so from the start, we see that every individual should have full opportunity for the gospel. There can be no preferences. There can be no favorites. There's no favorite people for God. There's no favorite church for God. Village, we don't have a special place as God's best church. We are part of his church to be doing his work. And here we're reminded through Peter, who has learned this lesson, every nation Anyone who follows God, fears God, um, follows, acknowledges him, and does what is right, and the idea of pleasing God, following him with our lives, they are acceptable to God, pleasing to God. And so for us to to remember that the gospel is for for all, we want to remember what Peter said, that there needs to be full opportunity for all. The gospel is available to anyone who fears God. Nothing held back. Then Peter goes on in 36 through 43 to fill in their knowledge about Jesus. Because it looks as if they had some idea of who Jesus was. They're following God. But now that knowledge needs to be filled in so they can be saved. They're not saved yet. Because you cannot be saved without belief in Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So these people are are God-fearing, they're seeking God, but they're not saved yet, and Peter is there to fill in the gaps. And so what what Peter does is he gives them the full truth. And that's the second letter there. They have full opportunity for the gospel. Our goal should be that everyone has the full truth of the gospel, full knowledge of the gospel. And so we get Peter's sermon here, and we read some of it this morning during worship. Verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all. And and both of those phrases, word sent to Israel, good news of peace, those are both Old Testament references, reminding us that Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. He's the Lord of all. 
And, and we can sometimes focus on the word Lord, which is great, but also underline the word all. Because this verse is about reminding us the gospel is for everyone. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, referring to Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him, referencing to the ministry of Jesus. And just as a side note, we probably have a little bit of an abridged message here. So Peter probably talked more than this. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Just a side note, who's Peter talking to? A Roman centurion. This man knows crucifixion. This man knows that Jesus was truly dead, wasn't just swooning, wasn't just fainted. And so this would have, would have brought Cornelius in. Oh, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. And so we have the gospel here. We have the life of Christ. Then they put him to death on the tree. God raised him from the dead on the third day and made him appear to people. And in verse 41, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him, reminding him he was a real, real person, real body. He really was alive who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone, again, underline everyone, this, the gospel's for everyone, that's the lesson here, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And so Peter fills in their knowledge of the truth in a beautiful way and shares the gospel with them, brings them into the life of Christ, into the death of Christ that was as payment for sins to obtain forgiveness for sins, the resurrection that showed victory over death and victory over those sins, and reminding them that this forgiveness is available to all who believe. And only for those who believe. And so they must believe in Jesus. They must believe that he is God. They must believe that he died for us to be saved. Without those truths, they are not saved. And Peter just lays it out for them. And, and, and one of the things that I, I think of when I, when I read verses like 43 is again reminding us as believers, especially if we've been believers for a long time, that forgiveness comes to everyone who believes even if we don't see sanctification yet, even if they're not perfect like us yet. And I know we'd all say we're not perfect, but don't we sometimes think that of new believers? We are so much further along with them. No, we just have different sins. We're a lot better at hiding them after being in the church so long too. We're all forgiven. We all need the grace of God. And so let's come alongside new believers and disciple them and show them grace and the grace of God rather than despise them or look down on them. Rather than put conditions on, well, when you get to this point, we can be better friends. But to fully bring them in to the family of God. And so we see from Peter's example here, he gave that, he, he understood that everyone is to have full opportunity for the gospel. He gave the full truth of the gospel so that they would know that Jesus was their Messiah, that Jesus died for them, and Jesus offered forgiveness of sins. And then let her see there, what happened is they were fully saved. They were fully saved. And I'll explain what I mean by that because it this is important for the church to realize that Gentiles were full believers, real believers, completely saved. They weren't half believers. They weren't like less than because, okay, at least they believe in Jesus, even though they're not Jews. They are full believers. And so God himself makes sure that they learn this lesson. The Holy Spirit indwells them when they believe. So verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, and the idea is he's still preaching. 
So he, he doesn't get to a conclusion. This just happens in the middle of his message. Um, and so, so no one like, say you're filled with the Holy Spirit and start speaking in tongues just to get me to stop. Um, but that is what happened here. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, and we'll go on with that. Do you see what's happening? What's, a, what's another time in Acts we saw something similar happen? Pentecost, right? In Jerusalem to the Jews. And so, so that, some of the scholars called this Gentile Pentecost. Because these people, they, they hear the gospel, they believe they don't even have to, to say a, a certain prayer at some point, their hearts are pricked. They respond to the Holy Spirit. They believe. He indwells them, and they start praising God. And they start speaking in tongues, just like they did in Acts 2, praising God in, in a language that is praising to God. And, and the believers that were with Peter, and, and this is really interesting because God is bringing people along. They were amazed, and, and the, the phrasing of the next phrase should Bother us and make us happy at the same time. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. And so there's an element here that the others hadn't quite gotten it. They hadn't seen the vision. Peter is, is still working with them. But God is showing them that Gentiles are not less than. They are fully saved. They fully have the Holy Spirit, just like what happened to the Jewish church. And that becomes the basis for unity. 200 of us in this room, if you have believed in Jesus Christ and given your life to him, you are saved. And you are under the grace of God, and you are fully saved, and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which means as we look around, we're looking around at people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that are fully saved just like us, and that should change how we view each other. That should change how we interact with each other. There should be a new level of grace we give each other, a new level of love we give each other. And here, God made sure that the church knew these believers are fully believers. They are fully part of the church. They are my sons and daughters and not anything less. And so then we get to the last point, D. They were fully included. Fully included. And Peter's response here again shows me the, the fullness of his obedience. He's all in. He's understood this. He's acting on what God says. And in 47 and 48, they were fully included. Peter says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he's teaching here and he's including. This is, this is one of my favorite verses in this passage as well. And, and should remind us of the Ethiopian eunuch. But Peter sees what's happening, sees the Holy Spirit come, and says, these, these, are, these people are fully saved. doesn't matter whether they're Gentiles or Jews. It doesn't matter whether they're clean or unclean by our own little standards. What matters is, have they given their heart to Jesus? And so he immediately moves to include them into the church. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Now, now, again, we've talked about baptism and what it means. Baptism had a couple of aspects to it. One was publicly declaring, I am a sinner, I need Jesus, I've died with him, and then I I've risen with him because he's paid for my sins. But baptism also represented inclusion into a family or inclusion into a group, much like our membership would be that we practice. And so for Peter to say, there, let's get some water and baptize them. This is equivalent to saying, let's bring them into the family as full members of the family. They're not only identifying with Jesus, they're identifying with the church. And we, by baptizing them, are identifying with them. And then I think he, he's reminding the six guys with them who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. There is no distinction, there is no difference. We are brothers and sisters because of the Spirit. 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked for him to remain for some days. And so it looks as if, in, in 48, it looks as if the guys with him did some of the baptizing here. And they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were brought into the church. They were fully included, showing identification with the church and a welcome adoption into the church. And Peter, again, shows the sincerity of what he's doing by staying for a few days. We don't know how long, but he stays for a while. They've just heard the gospel. Now they want more. They want some teaching. And so he stays and he's teaching, staying in their house, eating with them, showing inclusion. There is so much beauty in this passage to show that we are one in the body of Christ. We are one in this room with each other and should be striving for unity. We are one with the other churches in Orange County that are meeting right now but speaking a different language. But they're still full brothers and sisters in Christ. They still have the same Holy Spirit. We are one with the churches that our missionaries are leading around the world. We are one with the church in Ukraine and we are one with the church in Russia. Because what matters is is the person a child of God, not whether we can relate with them on some external. And so we are to stand up for, for the unity of the body of Christ. Locally, we stand up and say there will be no distinctions. We will actively strive to have no one feel less than in our body. Now, Keep in mind, that naturally happens in any grouping of people. So for that to happen, we can't just say, I don't want anyone to feel less than or excluded. We have to actively pursue people. Because we naturally go into our groups. We naturally have Dodger fans and, and other teams' fans. And um, <coughs> Sorry, the spirit made me choke on that one. <laughs> we naturally have affinity groups. And that's normal, and, and I get it, and, and we enjoy that. There's some people that like different things. But I want people, and, and what God wants is for people to come into the church and say, that's really weird that those people get along. That's got to be something different than they just both like the same sports team. That's got to be the Holy Spirit. And so I challenge us to look around, even as we go into the courtyard, even as we go into our classes, and say, is anyone excluded? doesn't matter the reasons. If they're part of the body of Christ, how can we welcome them? How can we include? As I read this passage, I also think that there's a, a much um, larger application by how stirred is our heart for reaching the world with the gospel. This story represents the door of the gospel opening up to the rest of the world. This is the hinge chapter to the rest of the world. And so if we don't come away thinking, oh, oh, the, the gospel would go to the world, then we've missed the point of the chapter. And so how, how well do we know our missionaries? If you don't know any of our missionaries, and, and maybe you're new here and haven't, if, if you're not, you've heard us talk about them a lot, go on our website, go to the missions page, and almost all of our missionaries are listed there. There's a map there that's interactive that you can click different parts of the world and it'll show you where they're ministering. But let's, let's love and care for our missionaries. That's part of how we as a local body strive to take the gospel to the ends of the world. Pray for them. A lot of them are on Facebook. I, I know the younger group just said, what's that? No, just kidding. <laughs> I don't know if they're on Instagram, sorry. Um, but a lot of them are on Facebook. A lot of them are on our private church page on face, Facebook. And we'll respond to messages. We hear all the time that our missionaries love it when we contact them and love the cards that you guys send and love when someone sends them an instant message or some sort of, of direct message saying, hey, just praying for you today. When they send out newsletters, and how many of you get um, at least one of our missionaries' newsletters somehow? Most of you. One of the things that they love is when you respond and say, hey, got your newsletter, I'm praying for you. It's all it has to be. You know, the Tribbles just sent out a newsletter, and I just sent Fred a message say, brother, miss you, praying for you. Hope ministry goes well in this area. And, and I picked something out of their letter. 
And, and, and he responded just with so much appreciation. Little things like that show a heart that's striving to have the gospel reach the world. Now, I know life is challenging. I know life is busy. We all have our own circumstances and, and rushing from this place to this place to this place, but don't lose the, the main thing. And that's for more brothers and sisters to be adopted into the family of God. In Garden Grove, in Orange County, in California, and around the world. And so find ways to connect. Pray for our missionaries. We have a missions conference coming up. That is one of the essential weeks of the life of our church because it represents trying to obey Acts 10 and trying to have the heart of Acts 10 and see the gospel go to the nations. Yes, we are part of the ends of the earth to them. They had no idea about the United States as Peter was talking to Cornelius. But now we pick up that baton and we continue to go to the ends of the earth. So I challenge us on two points out of this text. In our local body, are we including people? Is anyone less than? Have we crossed those biases? Have we crossed those boundaries? In our community, same thing. When we go out and give out the Project Touch gifts, are, are, we, are we trying to talk to people, even if we don't speak the same language, but saying hi and smiling? But then on a global level, are we committed to missions? Missions isn't just an extra thing we do. It's an integral part of what we do at Village because it's what God commanded us to do in Acts to continue Jesus' work. So let's think locally and globally today, how can we put Acts 10 into practice? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word, the challenge of your word. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see in our own community here how to welcome people, how to include people, how to make them part of our circles. Lord, I pray globally that we would have the heart that, that you show in this text of every nation coming to you, every nation hearing the gospel, for there to be full opportunity for everyone to believe because they've heard the full truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray that your word would spread even in Ukraine and Russia right now and all of the surrounding countries that are in upheaval. Lord, I do pray for peace, but I also pray more than that, that your word would reach people that have never heard before and they would come to you. Lord, give our brothers and sisters strength for the task. Strength knowing that the church around the world is praying for them. Strength knowing that you are with them and they are in your very presence as they share your word. Lord, I pray for them as well with the hurting and the pain and the suffering. That you would help them to be able to, to deal with that and to overcome that to be about the main thing. Lord, we lift all these things up to you. May we be a church that embodies Acts 10. In your name, amen.